First Corinthians chapter 11. I'm going to pre- I want to preach a message today on the Lord's table. And I want to use the end of the service, which is why I felt like the Lord was leading me to have our couples join today before. I want to use the end of the service to actually prepare to take the Lord's table. Um, I was recently in a church where there were places, and maybe you've been in a church like this, I'd never been in one, where there were places in the auditorium, <clears throat> the lights were all out, and there were little, like, Lord's Table stations scattered throughout. And one of the people on staff got up and said, this is our time that we take every week for reflection. And if you feel like you want to go over to one of the communion stations and reflect, then you can do so at this time. And there was only, to my knowledge, one person in the whole auditorium that got up and did that. And I just thought, I mean, you know, it's different. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying it's different. And I thought to myself, you know, I, don't, I really don't know how to take this. People just doing it on their own with real no direction. No one has said why the Lord's table is there. No one said what it is, what it's for. And it, it really just kind of hurt my spirit a little bit. And, and, and that's fine. That's between that pastor and, and the Lord Jesus. But I thought, you know, when I read it, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul's pretty clear that you're not supposed to come, Mike, with your family and eat and drink and then go and then someone else is supposed to do it separately. In fact, they tell me the history here that uh, something that I never knew that I found out this week that the church at Corinth was was practicing what they would call a love feast. It would be more along the lines of Acts chapter 2. You know, they would come and they would have a meal. And oftentimes the early followers of Christ would have a meal together. And at the end of the meal, like the Lord with his disciples, would designate the end of the meal to remember the Lord's body till he come. <clears throat> and the church at Corinth was taking that as an opportunity for problems. The rich people were coming and they were eating and, 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 and they weren't waiting for those that had need, neither were they providing for those that had need. And it was dividing the congregation even more. We'll talk about that a little bit. And so when it came time to take of the Lord's table, Paul says, look, I can't praise you in this. As much as I love you, as much as he's tried in 11 chapters to try to get this church back on the right track, he's like, I can't praise you in this because of what it's not doing. It's meant to do something and it ain't working because you're not doing it together. As Bible-believing churches, we believe that the Lord gave his church two ordinances. One is baptism. The other one is the Lord's table. Neither of which have anything to do with salvation. How many would agree with me there? I don't take the sacrament. I don't take the Lord's table in order to be saved. It is a remembrance. It's a memorial of the Lord's death, the body and the blood. I'm not baptized in order to be saved. 
I'm saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. But I am baptized out of obedience to the Lord Jesus, not only following his example, but his own command in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. And as the first at the first century church in Acts chapter 2, then they that gladly received this word were baptized. Then they that gladly were baptized. So we believe in two ordinances. We don't practice them for salvation, but we do practice them in honor of and as living object lessons of what he did for us. The night before his death, the Lord took the cup and the loaf, the ingredients, by the way, of a common meal on that day. And he transformed them into a meaningful spiritual experience for believers. However, the value of the experience depends on the condition of the heart of the one participating. And this was the problem at Corinth. You see, they were immature, according to the Bible. They were prideful. They were arrogant. They were divided into clans. They were judgmental. They were immoral. And content to be in that state. Paul tells the believers of the church at Corinth that it's a serious thing to come to the communion table with an unprepared heart and in a careless manner. Because the Corinthians had carried their sin to the Lord's Supper. Because they had carried their sin to the Lord's Supper, God had disciplined them. I want you to follow along as I read here in verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 11. For I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus the same night in which he was betrayed took bread when he had given thanks and break it and said, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do, show, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, <clears throat> eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Now notice verse 30. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep or have died. The Lord's Supper gives us an opportunity for spiritual growth. It also gives us an opportunity for blessings if we approach it in the right attitude. Well, pastor, what's the right attitude? Well, thanksgiving. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 15, For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound unto the glory of God. You see, the Lord's Supper is for our sakes, that the amazement of God's grace would humble us. That would humble us to the point of thanksgiving for the cross of Christ. And when we remember God's sacrifice, we're blessed. And at the same time, he is honored. So the question is, what, what do we need to do in order for the Lord's table to be a blessing? I got to be honest. I grew up in a church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. We had the Lord's table on a regular basis. And for me, it was like a highlight because my dad was a deacon. He prepared the juice and he got the little crackers out 
and he put them out there. And then I helped gather all the cups and would bring them back and drink all the leftover juice and eat all leftover crackers, right? So for me, it was just kind of like, oh, wow, you know, this is just what we do. And in not being trained, I think I missed a whole lot of blessing, Miss Cassie. And to be honest, I think for some years I missed the blessings of the Lord's table. But I don't want to miss those, and I don't want you to miss them. I don't want us to ever take the cup of the Lord and the representative of his body and just be like, oh, this is just what we do. The Catholics do that just fine. Now, look, I, I love Catholic people. But their doctrine, when they partake in that transubstantiation, is anti-biblical. And yet they do it every week. They go in there, they cross themselves, they take the thing, they take the thing, and they go back to their seat, and they live as if Jesus never died to begin with. But for Christians, it ought not to be so. For believers, it ought to be, wow, Jesus died for me? It ought to be just the fact, can we just say this way, that he died? And that's part of what it takes to make it a blessing. If you have an outline, take it out and let's just follow along. First of all, if it's going to be a blessing, we've got a number one look at the cross. The Bible says you do show the Lord's death till he come. The broken bread reminds us of Christ's body given for us. And the cup reminds us of his shed blood. It is a remarkable thing. If you think about it, that Jesus wants his followers to remember the fact, first of all, letter A, that he died. I want you to remember that I died. Remember that I died. Think about that. That, that, The the power in that statement. We must remember that he died because it's a part of the gospel message. The first Corinthians 15, that Christ died and was buried. In fact, it is not the life of our Lord. It is not the teachings of our Lord uh, that will save sinners, but his death. That paid for the sin. His death on a rugged, cruel cross hung there by Roman soldiers. I want you to remember my death. You do show the Lord's death. I want you to remember that I died. Secondly, we need to remember why he died. Christ died for our sin. In every message, I hope that you'll learn to internalize and say, Christ died for my sin. And when we partake of the Lord's table... I should be willing to say, Lord, you died for my sin. It's one thing to say, Lord, you died for me. I think it's another level to say, Lord, you died for my sin. Because the Holy Spirit puts it in the present tense. What sin is that? You died for my sin. You paid my debt that I could not pay. 1 Peter 2.24. I said this verse to a young lady that I got to lead to Christ on Wednesday night. It was so precious. Who his own self bore our sin, bear our sins in his own body on the tree. That we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we're healed. The fact is, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Part of salvation is admitting the fact that I have sin, and that sin separates me from God. And that's not a good thing, because if I die in my sin, I go to hell. But Jesus not just died, he died for my sin. Why? To pay for it. So that I didn't have to. Because the wages of sin is death. He paid that wage. Why? So I could have the gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I think we need to remember why he died and make it personal. I think thirdly, we need to make it, we need to remember how he died. You say, well, I thought you just kind of covered that. No. 
he died willingly. The Bible says that he died meekly. He showed his love. God commendeth his love toward us. And that while we were no good, dirty, rotten scoundrels, enemies of God, dead in trespasses and sins, as sinners, Christ died for us. That's how he died. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who thought it not robbery, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself, listen, of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant who was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. How did he die? Meekly. As the lamb to the slaughter, Jesus opened not his mouth. When he was reviled, he reviled not again. But he went to the cross meekly and willingly. Why? For us. That gives us reason to remember. God, it was me that you had on your heart when you died. That makes it all different. He gave his body, the Bible says, into the hands of wicked men. And he bore On his body the sins of the world, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God. You get it? Over and over, the Bible just says this over and over. We were sinners. Jesus was righteous. He died so we didn't have to have sin anymore. But we got his righteousness and said, that's the vicarious death of Christ. And Jesus said, I want you to remember that. Ye do show the Lord's death. Most of us try to forget how those we love died. We really do. If you've had someone die, you you don't really want to remember. But Jesus said, I want you to remember that I died. I want you to remember how I died. I want you to remember why I died. I remember how my grandmother died in the hospital of diabetes. And how she looked when she died. It was awful. I don't want to remember that. I was told how my mom died, and that memory I wish I could just strike from my record. I remember how a dear friend of mine in our church in Nevada died as I sat there with his wife. I don't want to think about that. If you lost somebody, it doesn't matter how they died, you kind of don't want to remember that moment. So why does God want us to remember the death of the Lord Jesus? Well, because everything we have as Christians centers in that death. Everything. And that he died for all. That they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again over and over and over again. And every time we take the Lord's table, it's all about the fact that Jesus died for us. If you really want to receive the blessing today and not take part in a ritualistic, sacramental type formal attitude, then you got to look at the cross. This remembering by the way, it's not simply the recalling of historical facts. What good would that do for me? Oh, Jesus died. Uh, can I just push a pause button there and step aside and say this? It's kind of like Christmas morning. Jesus was born. Let's get to the tree. Right? It, it would be that disrespectful to say, okay, okay, he died. Can we just take it on the table? I got re- dinner reservations. I got a roast in the pot in the uh, crocker. 
It's a participation in spiritual realities. At the Lord's table, we do not walk around in some kind of monument. We don't look at it and admire it. I'm not going to have you parade by and look at the cross like it's a dead body and then go back to your seat. We don't do that. What do we do? We have fellowship with a living Savior. That's what we do. We have fellowship with a living Savior as our hearts reach out to him by faith. If you want the blessing of the Lord's table, you've got to look very carefully at his cross. Carefully. Secondly, we need to look for his coming. The Bible says you do show the Lord's death in verse 26 till he come. We reserve, we observe the supper as long as we're here on this earth until he comes. By the way, because he is coming. Acts chapter one and verse nine, after Jesus says goodbye to his compadres, and when he had spoken these things while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, you men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? What's that mean? That means they were like this. Mouth open. What have we just witnessed? Why stand ye here a gazing? The Bible says the same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. The return of Jesus Christ is the blessed hope of the church. But it should be the blessed hope, blessed hope of every individual Christian. Because of his resurrection, one day he's going to return to take us to that special place that he's prepared. Today, we're not all that we should be. Now, you can admit to that or not, but that's the facts. Today, we're not all that we should be. But when we see him, all of that's going to change. The Bible says in 1 John 3 and verse 2, Beloved, now we are the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know this, when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. You see, this is the blessing of anticipation. Are you anticipating the Lord's return? Sincerely? Because I can look at the cross and say, Lord, you paid for that sin. But am I looking forward without shame to stand before him? Because that's the hope of John the writer. It's the blessing of anticipation. It's the blessing of completion. It's the blessing of redemption. I can look forward to that. I can look forward to old things being made new. When I was 20-something, I was like, I don't need to be made new. I'm pretty good as the way I am. 30 years later, I'm like, yeah, I could use a new right rotator cuff and left rotator cuff. My left knee probably could be used. Luke 21, 28, and when these things begin to come to pass, then look up. And lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. Jesus said, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Watch. It's humbling to look at the cross. Humbling. Because when I look at it, I go, man, that should be me. I should be separated from God. I should be the one, like the rich man in hell, lifting up my voice in torment and saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It should be me. It's humbling to look at the cross, but it's encouraging to look for his coming. Thirdly, it's helpful to look at yourself, but it's necessary. If I really want the full blessing of the Lord's table, I've got to look at those things, but I also have to open the mirror. The Bible says in verse 27, wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of, uh, shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. 
But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Look down, if you will, in verse 31. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we're chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. Paul did not say, by the way, if you look back at verse 29, he that eateth and drinketh unworthily. I want you to notice what it does not say. It does not say that we had to be worthy to partake of the supper. It doesn't say that. But only that we should partake in a worthy manner. At a communion service in Scotland, one Sunday the pastor noticed that, noted that a woman in the congregation didn't accept the bread and the cup from the server, but instead she just sat there and she wept. The pastor left the table and went to her side and said, take it, my dear, it's for sinners. And indeed it is. But sinners saved by grace must not treat the supper in a sinful manner. If we're to participate in a worthy manner, what what does it mean? So I don't have to be worthy. By the way, none of us are worthy. We've all sinned and come so short of the glory of God. I think we're all there right now. None of us are worthy. God didn't say you have to be worthy in order to take it. No, it says I have to partake it in a worthy manner. And he explains that manner. What does it mean to partake in a worthy manner? First of all, you've got to examine your own heart. We've got to examine our heart. What are we looking for? Can somebody say it? Say it out loud. Sin. Another Bible word is iniquity. Another Bible word is transgression. I'm sorry, I'm not going to say shortcoming, misgiving, debt. I'm not going to say that. I'm going to use the Bible word. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. I'm looking for sin. Is there something in your heart that's in opposition or disagreement with God? A step not taken, a word not spoken, a grudge not settled. Bitterness, strife, hatred or gossip. Covetousness or greed, pride or evil. Perhaps something more vulgar or perverse, I don't know. But I do want to remind you that it only takes a little leaven. And the whole lump is leavened. It only takes a little. And each sin not only affects you, but it affects your home and it affects this home. We've got to examine our hearts. Paul is talking to people who are full of themselves and content to stay that way. He's talking to people who are divided and content to stay that way. He's talking to people who have had separation of classes and they're content to stay that way. And he's saying, look, Don't look at each other. Look at yourself. Examine our own heart. Secondly, what do we, okay, when we find what's in opposition to God, what do we got to do? Let her be. We got to judge it. We got to judge that sin. We have to judge our sin. Our text tells us that of all places where sin must be judged righteously, it's the house of God. It's the pillar. It's the ground of truth. And that cannot rejoice in iniquity. And we must be fully aware of the fact that if we fail to do so, that our loving God chastens us, according to the text. If we do not judge, for if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. By whom? God. But when we are judged by God because we failed to judge it ourselves, we're chastened of the Lord. Why? Because he loves you so stinking much, he doesn't want you to stay the way you are. 
How many of you that clean your house would go through your house, see something dirty while you're cleaning and go, oh, that's dirty, and then walk away, and then go to another room and clean that room, knowing that that's what you left there? Would, would, nobody would, in their right mind would do that. At least I don't think so. Now, junior hires are another story. Okay, I get that. And most of them don't have the frontal lobe in their brain. But they, they would be like, oh, yeah, there's a wet towel on the floor. Bummer. And they go to the next room. Or my clothes aren't picked up. Bummer. I'm going to go to the next room. And then you go in there and you go, dear Lord, what happened in here? Right? Because that's the way they are. But mature, responsible people don't look in the mirror and then walk away and forget what manner of men you are. We deal with it. And God says, here's how I want you to deal with it. I want you to judge it. I want you to see that that's what it is. And then let her see, confess it. Okay, so we examine our heart. We judge the sin. And then what do we do when we find it? We confess it. Let me say this. To come to the table with unconfessed sin in our lives is to be guilty of Christ's body and blood. What does that mean? Because you know why he died. We already talked about that. Because it was your sin that nailed him to the cross. If we will not judge our own sins, then God promises to judge and chasten us until we do confess and forsake our sins. Are you saying, Pastor, that if I take the Lord's table today and I have unconfessed sin and I'm not willing to get over this or whatever in my life, that God's going to kill me? I don't know that. I don't know what God, I don't claim to know the mind of God as it pertains to you, David. I don't claim to know that. But I do claim to know what Paul said to the people at Corinth. That were content to stay the way they were. Because of the way you are going about your Christian life, many of you are sick and weak and some of you are dead. Can you imagine reading that in the church at Corinth that day? Hey, we got a letter from Paul. Let's read it. And all of a sudden, from chapter 3, you're getting hammered. And for eight chapters, you're getting hammered. And now he gets down to the fact that the fact that you're ignoring God, some of you are dead. What would that have been like, Judy, to sit there and, and sit and go, man, I remember when Myrtle used to sit over there. Now she's not sitting over there no more. I don't know how that went, but that's what Paul said. This is how it's going down for you. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Listen, happy is the man that feareth always, but he that hardeneth his heart shall fall into mischief. First John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Why wouldn't you then? And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and the words is not in us. My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. There it is again. And he's the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. You see, a worthy manner is a clean heart. I want to be able to look at the cross Knowing that my sin was paid for and it's been dealt with. Knowing that my life has been purchased. I want to be able to look for his coming without shame when it happens. Examine means to test by a standard. And his amazing grace to us is that standard. How could I possibly do anything less? You see, when we look back at the cross and ahead at what will someday be, it should cause us to give an accurate account of our heart before God. Would you turn in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 4? Is everybody with me this morning so far? Okay. There's nothing more serious 
in the house of God than the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's no message more powerful. There's no message more necessary than that. And that's what the Lord's table is. And when we, when we responsibly look at the cross and we look in heaven and we look at our heart and we see all that has been done by the grace of a holy God, we should be able to give an accurate account of our heart. In Hebrews 4 and verse 13, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. But all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. It was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we, we may obtain what? Mercy and grace to help in the time of need. You see, knowing the Savior that we have and all that he did to set us free from sin, God says, come to me. Aren't you glad God doesn't hold grudges? Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad he takes you back every time? He doesn't have to rake you over the coals because when you genuinely come boldly, that means freely. That means I know I'm welcome here. That's what that means. That means, Lord, I'm coming with you and I'm dirty. But I know you accept me anyway. And I'm here because I know who you are. I'm here because I know what you did for me. And I need you. Lord, I need you. Every hour I need you. Lastly, and I think this is really important for our church, for every church, especially this church in Corinth. Number four, we've got to look at each other. It's not just helpful and encouraging to look at everywhere else, but it's powerful to look at each other. Now, let me qualify. We should not look around in, our, in order to criticize other believers. The Corinthians neglected to examine themselves, but they were expert at knowing what everybody else was like. They were expert at picking apart everybody else for various reasons. When the church gathers together, we can't become religious detectives who watch others, but who fail to acknowledge our own sins. We've got enough beams of our own to get out, right? No, the Bible says we need to look at each other to discern the Lord's body. Look at verse 29. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. There's something about the Lord's body. We should discern his body within the church around us for the church is the body of Christ. First Corinthians ten seventeen. for we being many are one bread and one body for we are all partakers of that one bread. Isn't it interesting that just prior to this in the previous chapter, Paul says that we're all of one bread. We've all partaken of that one bread. I find it interesting that Jesus said, I'm that bread. I'm the bread of life. You see, the supper then should be a demonstration. What's he trying to get at? Of the unity of the church. Now, there wasn't much unity in the Corinthian church, but it should have been there. They had every reason to be there. Now, if it was hard for a first century church to stay unified and together, do you think it would be even harder for a 21st century church to do that? Oh, yeah. Because we have way more things to knit and pick about. How we identify our opinions, 
Never has a personal opinion been so important to the entire world than today. And yet God says, look, I, I want you to have this blessing. I've given this for you to remember me. And you've made it all about you. And so I want you to look around. I want you to discern the Lord's body. Why? Letter A, the Lord's table is a family meal. It's a family meal. Now, I love eating with people who love to eat. And if you've eaten with me, you know that. You know that. I, I enjoy, I don't just eat, I enjoy food. Yesterday, I made myself a quesadilla. You may say tomato, tomato. You may say quesadilla, I say quesadilla. I made one, and as I began to eat it, I was, wasn't getting the flavor I normally got. I was hungry. I hadn't had much of a breakfast, and so I was looking forward to this big tortilla full of cheese and sour cream. Cooked in butter. The three food groups of dairy. So I was looking forward to it. I wasn't getting the flavors I normally got. And and you ever eat something and you just think, this doesn't taste right, but I think it will by the time I'm done. You ever done that? Instead of trying to figure out what was wrong with it in my mind, I kept just saying, it's going to get better. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. I'm just, you know, we're watching a baking show or whatever. I'm looking at food, eating food. Wow, what better thing than that? I'm sitting there eating and eating and it just wasn't happening. It wasn't getting better. I know what it's supposed to taste like. It got so bad, I finally couldn't finish it. And I, I was like, I don't feel good. This is weird. This is a quesadilla. It's supposed to fill me up. Couldn't finish it. So I said something to Cammie about the cheese. I was like, you know, babe, this, this Trader Joe's cheese, I, just, I noticed when I took it out, it felt a little different. And, and when I was cooking it, I was like, it's not acting like cheese. But, you know, you're just, you excuse yourself because you really want the quesadilla. So I, I was like, I don't think we should buy that cheese. She said, I hope you didn't use the soy cheese. Did you check it? I was like, what guy goes into the thing where the cheese is and goes, let me see what cheese. It says cheese. I grab it. I throw it on the quesadilla. I cook it. Well, who does that? I, I picked it up. It said soy cheese. I almost barfed in my mouth. It was so disgusting. She made my son eat that a few days ago. I was like, you know, I, I'm pretty sure it's not healthy. I wouldn't feed that to the dog. That's Now, the only thing that can make up for bad food is good company. And like you, many of my favorite people to eat with is family. Family meals. Watch this. I love to eat with God's family. I love it. Most one of my favorite things to do. Oh, don't get me wrong. I love to eat with my family. And we're loud and crazy, you know, when everybody gets together. And that'll be happening soon. But I love to eat with God's family. I enjoy eating with God's family. It's supposed to be that way. John chapter 1, he came into his own and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. As a family member, no one ought to come to the table who's not a true believer. It's not for the unsaved. If you're here today and you're not born again, this table is not for you. I'm I'm not trying to point you out. I'm not trying to exclude you. God has designed this table to be for believers. People born into the family of God. But as much as that is true... 
nor should a true believer come to the table if his heart's not right with God and his fellow Christians. Why? Because letter B, the Lord's table is for the family to draw close to the Lord and each other. You know, I, I believe with all my heart that John the Revelator, the beloved disciple, had a special relationship with the Lord. And he wrote in 1 John, look, the reason that we're writing this to you, I'm paraphrasing, is so that you could be a part of the fellowship that we have with God. I want you to have fellowship with the one that we've handled, the one that we've seen, the one that we've witnessed. I want you to have that fellowship. Now think about that. We're the body of Christ. We're all one member of one bread. And God says, I want you to come around together as sinners who are unworthy in a worthy manner and partake of the one thing that reminds you that I died for your sins. That I set all of you as individual personalities at liberty together. And I want you to be close together. Family meals are meant to bring us close and closer with more joy and harmony. It's impossible for a true Christian to get closer to the Lord while at the same time he is separated from his fellow believer. You see, when Christ is at the center and all the spokes go to him, you go from being out here and as we all draw closer to him, we get closer to Christ, we get closer to one another. That gap closes. Why? Because we're not examining one another. We're not worried about what someone else will think about us. We're only focused on Christ. We're here to get the blessing of remembering and the memorial. How can we remember the Lord's death and not love one another? How could we possibly do that? How could we look at the cross and say, you died for me, but I hate that individual. I'm not going to talk to her. How could we do that? Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And we've seen and do testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in the world. First John 3.16, hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And that's the whole intent. That's the intent. Now it's up to us to receive the blessing. I heard a story from a pastor. He said, I really, I realized, uh, uh, I'm sorry. I remember a church member who approached me and shared with me a personal defeat that had not only hurt him spiritually, but had been advertised by others and was about to bring reproach on him in the church. What can I do to make it right? He said to the pastor after he convinced the pastor that he had judged his sin and confessed it. So the pastor reminded him that the next week they were going to observe the Lord's Supper. And he suggested that he ask the Lord for direction. The evening of the supper, the pastor opened the service in a way that he had not done before. And he said, and I quote, is there anyone here who has anything to share with the church? Well, he asked the question and then the repentant member stood to his feet and he walked forward. He met the pastor in front at the table. Can you imagine that happening? In a quiet, very concise manner, the man admitted that he had sinned. 
And he looked at his church family and said, will you please forgive me? He said they felt a wave of the Spirit of God, that the Spirit-given love sweep over the congregation, and people began to weep everywhere openly. At the observance of the supper, they had truly discerned the Lord's body. The communion is not supposed to be a time of spiritual autopsy and grief. Even though confession of sin is important, it should be a time of thanksgiving. It should be a time of joyful anticipation of seeing the Lord one day. Jesus gives thanks even though he has he was he was he gave thanks even though he was about to suffer and die. The Bible says that he gave thanks and then he suffered and died. I suppose we could do that. I want to give us some time this morning. I want to open the altar. I want to open the seats. And and I want you to take the time to look at the cross. And remember that he died, why he died, and how he died. And certainly he did that so that we could look for his coming. And that's a that's a great anticipation, but the heart of this worthiness is or the worthy manner is to look at ourselves as being a part of this body and then doing business with God. Then after we're done, in the pew right before you, there's a little cup with a wafer on the top of it. And we'll partake together. We'll go back through this. We'll ask God to bless the elements. We'll partake of it. But I hope you will take it in the right way. I hope you'll take it in the right way because you've taken what you find to the Lord. And your heart will be completely wide open to receive the blessing. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed. <laughs> Heavenly Father, I give this time to you. I feel awkward. And um, I, I just know this is what you want today. And uh, so I give it to you. I ask that you'd please help us. And that you would give direction. That you would help us to be sensitive. God, I, I, don't, I don't know the hearts of these people here. I don't need to know the hearts of these people here. And we're not here to think of what may or may not be in the heart of each other. Lord, I, I know that your intent is that we be focused on what's in our own. So I pray that you would help us to take the next several, several minutes and take time, time to be still and know that you are God. Time to look at the right place in the right direction. And Lord, that we would simply ask for the standard of grace to examine our heart. And Lord, those things that you reveal to us that are in opposition to your holiness, I pray that we would find mercy as we confess and forsake, that we would truly fellowship with you right now. In Jesus' name I pray. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to ask Jenna just to start playing and I'm going to say this, that the altar is open. If you feel like you need to come to pray here, then I want to encourage you to come. If you don't feel like you need to come to the altar, don't. You can pray right there. But I beg of you, as the pastor of Shadow Mountain Baptist Church, please, please do not take this table with a heart that is unclean. In an unworthy manner, Jesus died so that we could do it in a worthy 
manner so that we could receive a worthy blessing. Many times I've cried my heart to God and said, God, I want to be right with you. 